Good morning, church. I'm so glad that you are with us. Welcome. What an amazing time of worship that we can declare that Christ is enough and that it is well in Jesus' name. Thanks, worship team, for for leading us. Well, I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're new or if you're joining online, today's a really exciting day for our church family. We've got our annual meeting right after this service at 1215. If you are online, you can join that at efree.org slash meeting. Adam is gonna be sharing a new theme for our ministry year in 2023, and it's just gonna be such an exciting thing to be a part of. Members can vote on some initiatives, so I would just encourage you to come and, and to be a part of that. As part of that meeting, Kevin is also going to be doing a finance update, and we are so thankful for how God provided for our church family looking back in 2022, and we just wanted to thank all of you who were a part of that. If God has been moving in your heart to encourage you or lead you to start giving this year, you can find all the information for that at efree.org slash give, and I'm just so impressed with our finance team and our stewardship team who makes that so, so helpful to give to just all the amazing things that, that God is doing here, and God is doing so much that it's, it's exciting at our church. So it's a privilege for us to be able to give towards that. Well, today we're gonna be at Acts 9, verses 19 through 32. This is an awesome passage, and I'm excited to dive into it together. You could open your Bibles and turn there now or pull it up on the YouVersion Bible app if you would like. If you were with us last week, we saw Paul's amazing conversion on the road to Damascus, and Adam talked about how you're never too far from God to be a part of his family. If you missed that message, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it because it was really a good one. Today, we're gonna continue where that story leaves off and see what comes next in Paul's life. But I wanna set up where, where we're going. Today's message is gonna be titled, God's Power for His People. And specifically, uh, I want us to think for a second about power, not political power or personal power, though those things are part of our culture. I want us to think about electric power, battery power. Think about how dependent we are simply on battery power every single day of our lives. How many of you have had the, the following experience happen? It's freezing cold, it's a winter morning, you go out to your car, if you're anything like me, you're running late already, and you turn the ignition and your battery's dead. Anybody had that before? <laughs> oh man, it's a frustrating experience. And when that happens, it doesn't matter if you drive a Chevy Corvette or an old clunker, if your battery is dead, then you are stuck and you aren't going anywhere because you don't have power. Or think for a minute about our computers. You know, we're doing a lot more work from home these days, and so maybe it's, uh, it's the morning, you've got an online meeting that you need to jump on and join, so you clear your desk off, you get your coffee, you open up your computer, but you realize you left your charger at work and the battery's dead. Anybody had that happen? Then you kind of have to pull out your phone and phone and do the like join of shame on your phone. You know, everyone knows in the meeting they can tell that you, you left your computer, forgot your battery's dead. I've definitely had that happen before. Our last example, think about the toys that we buy for our kids. You know, a lot of times we'll get something new for our, our son or our daughter, and then we'll be setting it up and reading the instructions, and you come to those three words that are just the bane of every parent's existence come Christmas or birthdays. Batteries not included. Why is that still a thing? Why do they never include the batteries? And if you're like me, you'll rummage around in your battery door and you'll probably be one battery short. And so again, if you don't have power, you're stuck or you're headed to Walgreens to, to get some more batteries. Now, these are areas that, while inconvenient, they don't 
really matter all that much, but when we think about the areas of our lives that matter the most to us, like our goals and our dreams, our relationships with our family and our friends, our, our connection to God or our lack of connection to him, this issue of power is, is a really big deal because it's what enables us to, to transform and to grow and to change. And so think about where, where you're at right now. Maybe you had an ambitious list of goals for 2023, but now that we're one month into the year in February, it feels like you don't have any strength to, to follow through and accomplish your dreams. Maybe you're in a difficult Maybe there's a difficult relationship in, in your family and you promise yourself you're gonna to try to do a better job loving that person, but it feels like you just don't have the power to do it. Maybe you're struggling to stay consistent with God. Maybe that temptation that you're fighting feels too powerful. Maybe God has given you a difficult ministry assignment in the church or at your job or in your family as a young parent and you just feel exhausted. I think all of us have been there worn out, depleted, just out of power. And the good news is that our passage this morning is gonna speak to that challenge. There's good news here for those of us who are weary. It's that our God gives power to his people. And in this passage, we're gonna see three ways, three angles that God gives us his power from. We're gonna see God's power to transform us, God's power to protect us, and God's power to guide us. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let's pray together. We'll dive into this passage. Almighty God, I pray that you would strengthen us today as we come to your word. You're the everlasting God, the creator of, of the heavens and earth. All power and authority belong to you, God. And we are, we're often tired, Lord. We're prone to wonder. We're, we're stuck in sinful patterns. And so we need your power and your strength would you give us that strength to transform us, God? Guide us into your truth. Open hearts and minds, mine as well, God, so that we can experience your power at work within us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in Acts 9, verse 19. We're gonna pick the story back up with Saul. I'll try to refer to him as Saul as this passage does throughout here in this section. It's not actually until Acts 13 where he starts to become known more as Paul, but just in case there's any confusion, Saul and Paul throughout this message will refer to the same person. Okay, let's dive in. Verse 19, it says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, was indeed the, the Messiah, rather. This is such an incredible transformation that we see in Paul. A few days back, he's going to Damascus to persecute the church, and now he's actively preaching God's word to build the church. It's an incredible transformation. The word in verse 22 for amazed means astonished, besides oneself, even thrown out of place. In our words today, we'd probably say that they were stunned speechless or that they were simply floored. They just couldn't believe what God had done in Saul. 
And it is amazing. He goes from persecutor to pastor. He goes from a murderer opposed to the gospel to a messenger for the gospel. It really is one of the most incredible transformations in the entire Bible and, and really in all of history. How is such an amazing transformation possible? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Our God is so powerful, he can literally make us into a new person. There's no transformation that is impossible for him and no timeline is too fast or too slow for our God to move. Now, when we read this passage, it feels like a very sudden transformation for Saul. But when we look at it a little bit closer, we see that this was also a process that unfolded over some time. As Adam talked about last week, Saul had probably heard the gospel many times from the Christians that he had persecuted. And when we get a little bit of background from Galatians 1, we see that this really was a process for Saul. We also see that in verse 22 where it says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. I think that word became is really important, not only for Saul, but for all of us. It's a process. It takes place gradually. In Galatians 1, and I won't put this up on the screen, but Paul talks about how during this season, he didn't go down to Jerusalem to consult the apostles, but he went to Damascus, which corresponds to what we read here. And then it actually says he went away to the desert in Arabia and received direct revelation from Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but it would be incredible to know during the season, Paul is being taught by Jesus himself in some special way. He says he then returned to Damascus and then went down to Jerusalem, and he gives us kind of a timestamp on this, this section of scripture. He says he was in and around Damascus for about three years. So what we see here in just a few short verses in Acts actually takes place over, over the course of time. It was a process for Saul too, and I think that's encouraging. So often in scripture, we read the highlights and the lowlights, and we can compare ourselves to that, but the heroes of the Bible had normal days just like us, days where it felt like not a whole lot was happening, days where God was just growing and developing them in the course of, of normal time. Look again at verse 22. There's a really important word that, that I think is really cool. In verse 22, it says his preaching became more and more powerful. And that word for more and more powerful is the Greek word in dynamo. That's a really cool word. It kind of sounds like dynamite. It's actually fun to say. So would you say it with me in dynamo? One, two, three, in dynamo. Is that a cool word? With how Luke uses it here and kind of the verb tense, we see that it means that Saul received strength from a source outside of himself. In other words, Paul himself wasn't the source of power for this transformation. What's implied is that this transformation came from God. Paul uses the same word in Philippians 4.13 where he says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, through Christ who endynamos me. That's the idea that God gives us his strength. And how amazing is it that the God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and earth, would give us his mighty power? Look at what it says in Isaiah 40. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. 
Maybe this morning you're in a place where you need that strength from God. Maybe you're longing for transformation or change in your life and you've been longing for it for a long time and it just feels like it's impossible. Like maybe you're losing hope. Maybe you've been trying to change in your own strength and your own power instead of relying on the power that's available for you in and through Jesus. No transformation is too powerful, is, is too difficult for God. He can give you his power. He can work wherever you're at in your story. Sometimes he works suddenly, powerfully, in, in miraculous ways. There's, there's truly no transformation that's too impossible for God. I came across a story of an incredible, incredible transformation as I was working on this sermon. In the book Unbroken by Laura Hildebrand, she tells the story of Luis Zamperini. It also became a movie a few years ago, but the book is incredible because it goes into so much more detail about what happened. Zamperini was a troubled youth. He then became an amazing runner. He actually set the college world record at the time for the fastest mile ever at four minutes eight seconds. It's an incredible speed, especially for back in the 1930s. He then went on to run in the Berlin Olympics in, in 1936. He joined the military in World War II, and his plane actually crashed in the Pacific Ocean, and he was stranded on a raft for an incredible 47 days. That part of the book alone is fascinating and worth the read, but what happens next is even more interesting. He's, he's taken, captured tragically by a Japanese ship and then moved to a Japanese prisoner of war camp. He's starved, he's beaten. At the end of the war, he's rescued. He returns back to the United States, but incredibly, the darkest and most difficult part of his journey is, is actually still ahead. As he goes through all the, all the trauma and he begins to process that, he plunges into this horrible black hole of depression and revenge and rage and alcoholism and his life is just falling apart. But from that place of desperation, God brings about this amazing transformation. He leads Louis to attend a Billy Graham crusade. He hears the gospel. He feels like God is speaking to him personally. He believes the gospel. He receives Jesus's forgiveness for his sins. And the author, Laura Hildebrand, describes what happened later that night. This is just an incredible moment in Louis's life. It says, Louis went straight to his cache of liquor. It was the time of night when the need for a drink usually took hold of him. But for the first time in years, Louis had no desire to drink. He carried the bottles to the kitchen sink, opened them, and poured their contents into the drain. Then he hurried through the apartment, gathering packs of cigarettes, a secret stash of magazines, everything that was part of his ruined years. He heaved it all down the trash chute. In the morning, he woke feeling cleansed. He was no, no longer a worthless, broken, forsaken man. In a single silent moment, his rage, his fear, his humiliation and helplessness had fallen away. That morning, he believed he was a new creation. I don't know if Laura Hildebrand is a Christian, but I love how she describes that transformation. In a, a silent, sudden moment, he became a new creation. That's what our God can do. He can work so powerfully in moments in our stories. And your story may not be quite as dramatic. I know mine certainly doesn't feel that way. Most of us aren't lost at sea for 47 days or, or taken prisoners of, of war but I do know that all of us are fighting a battle of transformation in our own stories. 
And for those of us who, who have trusted in Jesus, God is at work in those stories. He's changing us to become more like him. Sometimes God works really suddenly in the power of a moment. Sometimes he works really gradually. The change comes through God's strength and in his timing. Sometimes God in his wisdom chooses to work over the course of months or years or, or even decades. And it often involves a struggle, many challenges and some setbacks. This isn't a sign that God has abandoned us. Rather, if we feel this struggle deeply in our hearts, it's likely a sign that God is at work in us. I love how the following author puts it in this quote. He says, sanctification, which is the, the process of change that God does in us after we become believers, does not prevent a man having a great deal of inward spiritual conflict. By conflict, I mean a struggle within the heart between the old nature and the new. A deep sense of that struggle, a vast amount of mental discomfort from it are no proof that a man is not sanctified. Rather, I believe they're healthy symptoms of our condition and prove that we are not dead, but alive. Just by show of hands, have you felt that struggle, that, that inner discomfort from the change that God has, has tried to do? If you have, would you just raise a hand? I know I have it in my life. Yeah, I think all of us have felt that, the discomfort and the struggle that this author describes. And so if you're feeling that in a really deep way this morning, be encouraged that you are not alone. You're in really good company here with us at this church. It can be a very difficult process. It can take a very long time, but God is faithful to work. In the process, he gives power to those who trust him. God can strengthen you. He can, to use that Greek word again, he can endynamo you in the midst of your biggest challenges and your deepest struggles. So as we trust him, his power can transform us. So we've seen God's power to transform. Let's continue in verse 23. And in this next section, we're gonna see God's power to protect his people. And this is one of my, my favorite sections of, of this passage. It's really cool what happens here. In verse 23, it says, after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. And it's kind of ironic. The violence of Saul is now directed back at him, actually. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. And ancient cities had walls. They weren't easy necessarily to get in or out of so that you could keep the city safe and, and keep invaders out. And so they stationed men at the gate to catch Paul, to, to try to capture him, ultimately to kill him. But it says Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Now, this is just kind of cool, isn't it? This feels like Mission Impossible or Spy Kids. I mean, this is like an ex exciting escape scene. Um, but man, it must have been scary for Paul, right? Can you imagine what it would feel like to have people hunting your life to try to kill you? And then imagine just getting into like a tiny basket. This word basket is the same one used in the gospels for when the disciples picked up the leftover loaves and, and fishes from Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. So Paul, in this very vulnerable place, has to climb into like a bread basket, like maybe the size of a small laundry hamper and be lowered, literally belayed down the side of the city wall. 
I don't know about you, I would have been so scared about the rope breaking or getting out of balance. I'd really need to have a lot of trust in the guys who were holding the rope above me. I mean, this truly would have been scary. And I think we're tempted to read it kind of as mission impossible, this cool escape. But I think for Paul, it would have been really frightening. This was the first time his life had ever been at risk because of the gospel. And think about all that's at stake here. It's a life and death moment for Paul and all that God has planned ahead for for him is at stake, the role that he's gonna play for, for the churches. What we see here is that God protects Saul. He intervenes. I mean, this was a sophisticated plot. A lot of people had one goal in mind, kill Saul. But God stops their plot. He protects him. He makes Saul aware. He helps the escape go according to plan. And then he sees him safely to Jerusalem, which is gonna be the next part of Paul's journey. Man, God protects his people. When God has a plan, he protects us so that he can bring it about. I think it's really interesting and important to note that God's protection didn't negate the need for Saul's involvement here. I mean, God could have magically snapped his fingers and Paul could have just teleported back to Jerusalem, much in the same way that Philip is magically transported just earlier here in the book of Acts. But in this instance, God has an escape plan for Saul that involves a lot of courage and vulnerability and trust. Saul needs to trust God and step into the basket. And sometimes for you and I, we have a part to play in our protection. We need to take a step of faith, a step of trust. Metaphorically, sometimes we need to step into the basket that God provides for us. I think it's also important to note here that even while God protected Saul, this protection didn't get rid of all the discomfort or or the pain or the fear that Saul went through. Eventually, according to church tradition, Saul Saul did die as a martyr for his faith. And so God, God protects us for his plan. And sometimes this plan involves suffering. He doesn't remove everything that's difficult, but he does give us his strength and his protection in in the midst of it. The other day at our staff meeting on Thursday afternoons once a month, we gather as a staff and we had this amazing time where a guest speaker came and encouraged our staff and actually started our, our gathering together by having the staff share stories of how God had transformed us during the pandemic. And it was a really incredible and sweet time. Staff member after staff member shared stories of how God had worked in that season. There were stories of loss, stories of unexpected challenges and transition, stories of of just incredible pain. But what really stood out to me was how often God took something that seemed so negative in those stories and then used that very thing and turned it so that it provided the protection or the answer or the blessing that was needed. After one especially moving story that involved the loss of a family member, one of our staff shared about how even in that loss, God had just provided and protected in a beautiful way. And our speaker said something that I thought was really profound. He said, man, when something challenging happens and you see God's blessing and protection in it, that's when you know you trust God as your father. Isn't that a really thoughtful point? When when something difficult happens and you see God's protection in it, that's when you know that you trust him as your father. I think 
in our challenges, God is cultivating that same trust that he was cultivating here in Saul. He wants us to trust him, to know him, to know his great care for us as our heavenly father. And God can build that and create that and cultivate that in our hearts as we go through difficult times and we experience his protection. So we've seen God's power to transform, God's power to protect. Let's continue on and we'll see our final point here in verse 26 through 31. This is God's power to guide his people. In verse 26, it says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. And of course, we we can't blame the believers. Saul was still known as the great persecutor of the church, the one who had probably thrown in jail and murdered some of, of their friends and fellow believers. So it's no surprise that they don't wanna welcome him in. It says they did not believe he had truly become a believer, but then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So then Paul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. I love how God guides Barnabas here, and I love how God uses Barnabas to guide the church. This is the second time that we've seen Barnabas in the book of Acts. We were introduced to him back in chapter four. It says there his name means son of encouragement. So Barnabas was someone who was constantly looking to encourage others in their faith. We also saw in Acts four that Barnabas had sold a field and brought the money to the apostles. So we know that he was a leader, a leader of the church who led by his example. And this gave him lots of credibility. What Barnabas does here is he takes his credibility And he kind of lends it to Saul. He says, hey, I trust this guy and you should too. And what a risky move this must have been for Barnabas. I mean, Saul was still hated by all the Christians. Barnabas basically puts his arm around him and says, you can trust this guy, I I trust him. And I kind of wish we had more info here about how Paul and Barnabas met, how God showed Barnabas that Paul could be trusted. We don't know exactly how the story all unfolds, But what we do know is that this friendship and connection leads to a really amazing ministry partnership that continues, it has a huge impact in the life of the first century church. Paul and Barnabas go on to do so much ministry together. They share the gospel with the churches. They they proclaim the gospel to, to many, many people. And so God guides Barnabas to Saul for this special connection. And I think sometimes God does that in our lives. Sometimes he brings a friend or, or a coworker or, or just a special person who's gonna be a partner in ministry with us for a season. Maybe God has brought someone like that into your life. And if that's so, thank God for that friendship and really value it, stay committed to it. God can work so powerfully through those kind of connections. I also love how God guides the believers to a wise course of action here. Look what happens in verse 29. It says, he, Saul, debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. This is gonna become a really frequent pattern for Saul. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. I think this is such an interesting decision from the believers. They could have dug their heels in and said, hey, even though there's people trying to kill Saul, we're gonna stand strong. We're gonna support Saul and and stand with him and kind of bring on this, this persecution. They knew that God could 
protect them, but I think they must have sensed that God was leading them in a different direction in this instance. The church had just been through this great season of of persecution where all the believers in Jerusalem were scattered, and so God leads them to a different plan. And they send Saul to Tarsus, which was his hometown, well over 500 miles away from Jerusalem. In some ways, Saul kind of gets taken out of the spotlight for a season as the book of Acts focuses on other characters, and Tarsus would have been a great place for Saul to go. It was relatively safe from any danger. There's a mountain range above Tarsus and the Mediterranean Sea below it. It was also a very Greek city, and so it would have been an incredible place for Saul to interact with university students and the current philosophy of the day to prepare him for his mission that was coming up to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So this was a wise decision for Saul, and it was also a wise decision for the church. Look at the result of it in verse 31. It says, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Man, what a sweet season of peace this must have been for the church. Their primary persecutor was out of the picture. God had transformed and changed them. And so it now had the freedom to grow. This must have been so encouraging after a really difficult season. Sometimes God brings a a fresh season of revitalization and and growth and peace after a difficult one. And And he's the one who provides this. It says, with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church grew. The church was strengthened because God is the one who strengthens it. Maybe for you, you're facing a difficult decision right now and you need God's guidance you could always trust God to provide his direction and his leading. Seek his will in prayer and, and in the Bible. And I think here especially we see the wisdom of making decisions together with other believers. As we process our decisions and talk with them about them, God often makes clear how he's leading. No matter how difficult your decision, God has the power to guide you. As we come here to the conclusion of our passage, we've seen that God has power to transform, power to protect, and power to guide his people. And there's one kind of final important note that I want to make. It strikes me that in each of these three realms, God's transformation, his protection, and his guidance, in this passage, we see God's work and our work coming together in a really cool way. God is the one who transforms us and he calls us to work hard and grow with him in that change. God is the one who protects us. Sometimes he calls us to take a step of faith to participate in that protection. And God is the one who guides us. We need to seek that guidance with prayer and humility. So we see God's work and our work coming together. And I love how how one writer describes this process. It's a bit of a wordy quote, but, but it's well worth it at the end. He says, God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor are working suspended because God works. Neither is the relationship strictly one of cooperation, as if God did his part and, and we did ours. God works in us and we also work. But the relation is that because God works, we work. Did you catch that? I love that last phrase. Because God works, we work. When we have confidence that God is at work in our lives, we can join in with faith and with dependence and trust. He can move in incredible, 
in unexpected ways. Maybe there's a way that he wants to work in your story or just encourage you that, that he really can change you. He really can protect you. He really can lead you. I love what Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. We see both sides of this, God's work and ours. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Man, amen. God gives us his power so that we can do what pleases him. So as we close this morning, let's take a moment and just reflect on how we need to apply these truths to our lives. Maybe there's an area where you just desperately want and need God's change. And maybe you've been trying to change for a long time. Maybe you're in a really dangerous place in your family or in your job and you need God to just cover you with his protection. Or maybe you've got this decision that has been stressing you out for, for months and months and you aren't sure what to do. Go to God in that place. He will lead you. He will be faithful to show up. He delights to give us his power and his strength and his grace when, when we need it the most and when we come to him and ask him for it. As we close, listen to these encouraging words. This is from a hymn called, He Giveth More Grace. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we trust that you really are enough for, for the challenges that we're facing. And we ask that in those, you would give us your your help, God, come into our stories and invade the broken places of our lives and meet us there with your grace and your power. We, we just wanna be open to that, God. We wanna invite that in our lives. Your power is so great, Lord. You're the unstoppable God, as we sang earlier in this service. There's nothing that is too difficult or too hard for you. May we believe that. May we trust it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we now have the privilege of partaking in the Lord's Supper or communion. Now, let me give a few uh, logistics first. As the trays are passed, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, please grab a stack of two cups. If you're not a follower, feel free to pass the tray along. In the bottom cup is the bread, and in the top cup is the juice. And there are also gluten-free wafers in the middle of each tray. Then please hold on to these elements until everyone is served, and we will take communion together. Well, I have loved this picture that we've seen over these last couple of weeks of God's amazing grace in the life of Paul, a man that no one felt deserved that grace. And then this radical transformation in his life, going from someone who is actively persecuting Christians to now on his way to becoming the most impactful missionary that the church has ever seen. It's a powerful story. But I think sometimes we get lost in these stories and forget 
just how amazing each of our stories are. You know, we didn't deserve God's grace either. And maybe your transformation isn't as dramatic as Paul's, but it is nonetheless a miracle. This time of communion is a remembrance. Jesus instructed us to do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember that we each received undeserved grace as Jesus went to the cross, as his body was broken and his blood was shed. He gave up his perfect life to pay the penalty for my sin. When we believe that, when we trust in Jesus as our savior, we are justified. Our sins are totally forgiven. And then that process of sanctification, this transformation into the image of Christ begins. But again, it's mostly not our work. I mean, we do have a part to play. We have to follow Jesus. We need to do what he says. But as Andrew mentioned, we work because God worked. Much of the transformation happens by his power, through his son, through his word, through his spirit. And so this morning, during this time, I encourage you to just think back over your story. Think back to when you were first saved. How did Jesus meet you in that moment? And think about how Jesus continues to work in your life through power to transform you. And as we remember Jesus, let's thank God for his amazing grace, for sending Jesus to save us, and for that power that he continues to work in and through us to transform us. And let's recommit to partnering with him in that process. Let's take a moment to remember now.
Well, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that on the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the covenant in my, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time of remembrance. We thank you for sending your son to save us. The amazing grace that you showed to Paul that you showed to each one of us, even though we didn't deserve it. And the power that you continue to show in transforming each of us to look more and more like Jesus every day. Lord, I pray that you would help us to partner with your spirit, that you would help us to do our part in that transformation process, that we would recommit this morning to working that out with you the coming week and the coming weeks ahead. Lord God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.